And this comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as a head above all. Both riches and honors come, come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to be offered willingly? For all things come from you, and your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, and all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all the abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and all is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness, in the uprightness of my heart, and I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord and the God of their fathers and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, and 1,000 lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing, our Lord, and illuminate our hearts and our minds as, um, through the Holy Spirit as Ryan brings the word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, today is all about worship. In the history of God's people, we see this, this movement, and it goes like this. God responds to our sin with grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. And then, God's people, when they're in a good place with the Lord, respond by offering their whole lives back to Him. And you know what this is called? Worship. It's called worship. Worship is our response to God. You know, we've been talking a lot about the mission of God and how we want to be in the city and for the city, reconciled and reconciling, all of these things. And they are important, but they teach us and they tell us and inform us on how we are to worship. I love I love what John Piper said in one of his sermons about missions. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. So what are we trying to do at New City Church in this community and around the world? We're trying to raise the awareness of the supremacy of Jesus in all things. We're trying to show the world that he's worth it all. And that's what we're talking about today. If you've got a Bible, I want you to flip open to Romans chapter 12 for just a moment. And this will tee us up into First Chronicles uh, that we're going to be spending the majority of our time in this morning. Romans chapter 12, 1. 
The book of Romans is this theological masterpiece that teaches us about God, about who He is, and how we relate to Him. And after all of this beautiful theology has been taught, we get this verse in Romans 12.1. So, because God has done all of these things for you, even though you were this and you didn't deserve it, here's what He says, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, so what does it mean for us to worship? It's to give ourselves fully to the Lord. Worship isn't about going to a place to do a thing. It's about a life that's surrendered to Jesus in every domain. And we are now these living sacrifices, as Paul says, because Jesus lives inside of us. And so no longer these dead sacrifices that we give over and over and over again because Jesus has been given for us. We live to sacrifice ourselves for His kingdom and for His sake. So how do we worship God here at New City as a community? Let me remind you of the values that we've been talking about. These are, If you're new here, these are kind of reframed values that, that really inform what it looks like for us to live as the family of God together uh, here in this community. We, we said this, that we are humbled by grace and depending on the Spirit. That the Holy Spirit fills us with everything that we need to magnify Christ. And a lot of times that looks like our lives uh, and our pride being diminished lower and lower and lower so that Jesus can be made more and more famous through how we posture ourselves. We said that we're in the city and for the city. Not just Lawrenceville, not, not just Lawrenceville, but every city, every community that we find ourselves in, we are in the midst of them. We're not some other place at some other time. But we're right here, right now, for a purpose to worship in this community, to raise a sense of awareness about the, the present value of the blood of Jesus and how that impacts a community. We are reconciled and reconciling because all is broken around us. We've said this that's my problem. That's not their problem. That's not just some other community's problem. What happened in Pittsburgh is my problem. It's my problem because Jesus has made me an ambassador. He makes His appeal through the reconciling power of the Gospel through my life. And so everywhere that sin has damaged and distorted and broken and marred the image of God, He calls us to care and to enter in. Lastly, we said we're planted and planting. We, we, we plant ourselves deep into the heart of God because as A.W. Tozer uh, once said, a church that cannot worship must be entertained. And we don't want to be entertained. We want to worship. We want to worship. And so how do we do that? We sink ourselves into Jesus. Now, for nearly four years, we've been gathering in this school week in and week out in various parts of this school. The cafeteria, the other gym, this gym. We've been all over the place in these four years. But one thing has remained the same. We have been worshiping Jesus together because we think that there's something that happens when we are together that doesn't happen when we're apart. When we're not together. And so we gather week in and week out and we prioritize the fame of Jesus. We remind each other of the Gospel and the hope that we have in God when all seems dull, when all seems dim, when all seems like it's lost, we remind 
each other. And each and every one of us have been in a place over these four years that you've been in New City where you've needed someone else to remind you of the hope you have in Jesus because you happened to forget that week. And we've had lots of highs and we've had lots of lows. We've had lots of opportunities to see people meet Jesus for the first time in these spaces, in these places that we've met in, that we've filled. And I have to admit, I was so hesitant to enter into this conversation today about more explicitly talking about stewardship and worship um, because I was so afraid that my flesh would manipulate and coerce other people to think about money in a way that would just bless the church. But you know what I've found? I found exactly the opposite reality. Never in my life have I been around a group of people who speak so positively about the worship of God through their stewardship. And I really mean that. Never in my life have I walked into a room and people want to talk about what God wants to do in their life through how they steward the things and the gifts that God has given to them. And so this morning, church, I'm going to lean fully into this for our sake because Jesus calls us to it. And so the big idea that we're going after today from First Chronicles is this. Sacrificial grace leads us to sacrificial worship. Sacrificial grace leads us into sacrificial worship. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip into First Chronicles. And I want to set the stage for what's happening in this, in this narrative here. So we have King David, who was the second king of Israel. He followed King Saul. And he is a king that was described as a man after God's own heart. Now, he definitely had sin in his life. Sin that would preclude him from serving in our children's ministry. If I'm honest, right? I mean, he had some sin in his life that was, that was deeply uh, embedded in what and how he lived his life, but he had a, a merciful Redeemer that showed him grace that was greater than his sin. Just like you and I have. And, and what we see in David's life is that God's sacrificial grace and mercy that was shown to him over and over and over again began to work itself out through the way that David lived his life. In fact, there's this there's this account in David's life. It's in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. And God miraculously stops this plague that David's sin caused. David, David does this census so that he can see how big and how strong Israel is. So he can feel better about the situation that they're in as they may be going to war against someone. And, and, and God tells him not to do it. He does it. Anyway, and he says, okay, David, you've got three choices on what's going to happen next. And, and one of those was a, this pestilence that would sweep through the land for three days, and it killed tens of thousands of people all because of David's sin. Now, God relented of the, the, the judgment that he was showing to Israel, and he stopped. And David was so blown away that God would stop because he knew he deserved it all. He knew that he deserved to die as well. That, that the field that he was in when, when this happened... He said, I, I've got to buy this place. I've got to build an altar to the Lord here because I don't want to forget about the grace and mercy that God has shown me in this place. I don't want to forget about it. I want to build something permanent here so that every time that anyone sees this place, they will know that God is merciful. They will know that God is gracious. And they will know that we are grateful. And so David says, okay, he goes up to this guy in the morning and he says, okay, uh, I want to buy. I want to buy this field, and and uh, 
And he says, I'll pay you full price for it. And Ornan says, hey, king, you can just have the field, man. It's yours. You can just have it. And here's how David responds. Now get this. This is key. First Chronicles 21, 24, he says this. No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings, get this, that cost me nothing. I know you would give it to me for free, but this isn't about me and you. This is about me and my Father in Heaven. And I refuse to live a life that cost me nothing. I get a grace that costs me nothing, but I refuse to live a life that has no sacrifice in it. Because how can I be made like my Lord if I have no sacrifice in my life? And we see this theme time and time again in David's life. First Chronicles 29, 3-5. At the end of David's life, when he wants to build a temple for worship of God, um, he wants to build the first temple so that Israel can worship and offer sacrifices there. He offers it, he wants to build it on this very same site that he, that he bought that field for morning. And David is told this, he said, hey, as much uh, as you want to build this temple for God, you can't build it, David. You're a man of blood, you're a man of war. Now, but here's what I will do. God says, I'll let your son, Solomon, build the temple. You can't do it, but I will let Solomon do it. And says, David says, I've got to do something. How about I raise the money? I raise the resources. I give generously so that Solomon can build this temple. I'm never even going to be able to walk into that place and worship you, Lord. But I want to make it possible for it to happen. I want it to be so great because you're so great in my life. And then we see something even more miraculous about the way that God lives in this man. He then looks at his own treasure. This is, this is 1 Chronicles uh, you know, 1-8. through uh, eight. He looks at his own treasure. Uh, uh, the treasury of Israel, and and he says, okay, um, you know, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give building supplies for that. But then he looks at his own treasure that he has, and and, and he's got three thousand talents of gold and and seven thousand talents of silver. <coughs> and in today's uh, metrics, what that would mean is uh, two hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds of gold, <laughs> five hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds of silver. And he says, I want to give this to kickstart this campaign to get this temple built. I mean, could you imagine today, could you imagine Art and the ushers trying to wheel out that much gold and silver today? Wouldn't that be funny? No, he says, he says I'm going to give it all. I want to give it all. And, and, and what we see about his life is that it was probably everything. He gave all of his treasure because he loved the Lord. And then what happens after this, 1 Chronicles 29.9, then the people rejoice because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart, they offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced. Now, now here's the deal. This, this passage to me is not so much about the money that was given. But it's about what's going on in the hearts of God's people as they gave. The people uh, th- this way gave with a whole heart. And whatever they gave reflected somehow their response, their worship, their relationship with God. And Jesus would go on to say this in the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure follows your heart. And how do you know what's going on in your heart, church? You know what's going on in your heart through prayer. 
Prayer is like a megaphone of your heart. If, if you want to get to know someone, just pray with them. Hear the things they're praying about. If you want to get to know someone, ask them about what they're praying about. I have people ask me that sometimes. It kind of catches me off guard. But what they're really wanting to know is, what is my relationship with God like? Because what you pray for shows where your heart is. So let's dig in. i got, just got three points I want to make quickly from 1 Chronicles 29. And the first one is this. God's grace breaks the power of greed in our hearts. God's grace breaks the power of greed in our hearts. So starting in verse 10, David prays. And he, it says this, David blesses the Lord in the presence of the assembly. And he says, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. So, so David, the first thing that he does after this extravagant, um, generous building campaign is kind of kicked off, and everyone's gave. They've gave their things. The first thing that God does is he looks out at the congregation and he says, thank you so much. No. The first thing that he does is humble himself before God. And he thanks God because he knows the only way that the power of greed is broken in anyone's heart is through the grace of God. And he thanks God for the work that he's done in these people and it's revealed through how they give and live their lives. This miracle occurred in their midst. Now, when, when we come to really believe this and know this in our hearts, church, there is nothing, no thing in this life, no circumstance in your life that can leverage the extent of your worship. Does that make sense? There's, there, there's, there's things that happen in our lives that leverage the extent that we will worship God with. There's, there's, there's certain health conditions that we say, not through this, God. There's certain financial crises we say, no, not through this, God. There's certain relational conflicts. God, I can't forgive this person. I can't worship through this. When we come to believe that everything that we have is from God's gracious hand in our lives, there is nothing that can have leverage over your soul and how you worship Him. So what keeps us from worshiping God with all that we have? Fear. It's fear. It's, it, and it's specifically fear of being in need. Fear of not having enough. Now, fear of being in need often has more influence on our worship than we know. I mean, think about it. I can't open my home because it's not big enough or clean enough. If I just had another house, I would be hospitable. I can't leave from work yet to be with my family tonight like I promised because my boss might think I'm a slacker. Trusting God with your life will enable you to keep your priorities. I can't build a friendship with this person. They might ask me to do and be more than I can do and be for them. Trusting in the Lord lets you live within limits. I can't give because I don't have enough. Trusting in the Lord and worshiping Him shows you that even the widow's might, where she gave all that she had, somehow she still had enough. 
I can't say no to this opportunity for my kids because they might miss out. And so we run frantically from thing to thing because we're so afraid that our kids won't have every chance that they need to survive. So trusting in the Lord is trusting in His grace to provide, strengthen, and keep our children where they need to be in His kingdom. I can't lead in the church because I'm not married. That's the biggest lie ever. In the Bible, we see so many people that were single. Jesus was single. If New City Church is a church that you can't lead in because you're not married, we're not a biblical church. It's a lie. No one or kids, no one will listen to what I have to say because I'm just a kid. Timothy struggled with the same thing. He was like a, he's probably 18 or 19 when he started pastoring, maybe 20. And he struggled with the same thing. And God said, you know, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. Kids, you have have an, an opportunity and a responsibility to show us what it looks like to worship Jesus. And God says we need to take our cues from you. In fact, he tells us we need to worship like you. That's what Jesus says. So you have a tremendous opportunity to show us what it looks like. And at the bottom of it is this fear that somehow we must protect ourselves. Somehow, we cannot give ourselves fully to God. We need to limit ourselves in the extent that we worship Him. And when we hold back our worship from God, it's called greed. Greed isn't just a money term. It's a possessive term. Greed is any time we keep God's gifts to ourselves. And this is why it's a miracle that God's grace broke through the power of greed in the hearts of Israel that day. And here's the reality. Every relationship in your life, your relationship with your job, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your spouse, your kids, every relationship that you have is vying for your worship. It's vying to be the singular focus of your life. And the question is, Who will get the singular focus of your life? Will it be some other relationship that is not worthy? Or will will it be Jesus, the only one who is worthy? He's the only one who deserves the singular focus of your heart and your mind and your affection. And so my question to you as we go to this next point is this. What leverage does, does greed, the fear of being in need, have in your life today? Where's the leverage that it has where it seeks to force you and to lead you into worshiping things that are not Jesus? How will its power be broken in you? It will only be broken in you when you see that King Jesus gave everything so that you could be a somebody. And it's only then will we, will we allow God to use our lives and our relationships and our time and our talent and our treasure for His glory and His kingdom. And it's only then will we feel His good pleasure on our lives as we live. Secondly, The costliest thing that you will ever do is to choose to receive the gift of grace. Costliest thing that you could ever do is receive the gift of grace. Now, David goes on to pray. He says this in 1 Chronicles 29, 14-17. He says, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly? He's like, why are we able to give? Who who are we as a people that we have the opportunity to give? For all things come from you. We're giving out of your bank account, God. And you and your own have we given you. And he goes on to say, all this abundance that we have provided for the building, 
building you a house for your holy name, comes from your hand and is all your own. He says, we've received this and we're giving it back to you out of worship because you are the one to deserve it all. And, and not only are we giving to you, we're giving an abundance of what we actually need. And just as a side note, everywhere God's grace's presence is abundance. There's abundance of forgiveness. There's abundance of peacefulness. There's abundance of gracefulness. There's an abundance of resources. There's an abundance of time to be given for the worship of God. There's an abundance. So he's saying, God, how is it that we're allowed the privilege to give back to you? You, don't, you haven't twisted our arm for this offering. You haven't manipulated us to give to the temple. But you've motivated us because you've been gracious toward us. You've given us everything. And we have given more than we need for this project because you have been so gracious to us. You've given us not only grace for our past sin, not only grace for the present things that we're struggling with, but you've given us grace for eternity. You've even given us future grace, God. Grace that will cover the sins that we step into tomorrow. You've given that to us. How can we not worship you? How can we not follow you? I was having breakfast with a friend this week, we've been getting together on Friday mornings for quite some time now, a few weeks. And uh, we've been just talking about the Gospel together and, and getting acquainted with one another. And um, we were talking about how hard it is to receive the gift from, from someone. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you're sitting at lunch and someone says, hey, I'm going to pay for this. And you, like, you kind of go for your wallet and you're kind of like, oh, I at least want to show him I want to pay, but maybe he can pay. I don't know. Maybe I'll pay. I'll get the next one is what we say, right? We kind of we kind of go back and we kind of do this and you know we do that when someone wants to offer us something and and it, we do it because we don't want to be in anyone's debt. That's why we do it. We don't want anyone to be able to say, "Oh yeah, I guess a cheapskate. He never pays for lunch." We, we don't want to be in anyone's debt. We are so independent in, in how we view God that we refer to grace as a handout, don't we? I don't want your handout, God. I don't want the gift of your grace. I want to show you that I'm better than I really am. We call grace a handout, and we'd rather give, we'd rather God give us a hand up than a handout, wouldn't we? A lot of times we would. We'd rather Him just jumpstart our faith instead of giving us the gift of faith, the gift of grace, so that we can spread His fame throughout the world. We do it because we think we don't want to be in His debt. And when we live like that, we show so little about how we know about who He is. This is why we struggle to see how severed our relationship with God is because it reveals a chasm far too wide to cross on our own. And there are only two responses to the gift of God's grace. And the gift is this, that every person in this room, your lives are beyond repair. You cannot run... We, my friend and I were talking about this. You cannot run and cross that chasm. You think that you've got the spiritual fitness to cross it. You have no idea how wide the gap is. We can't cross it on our own. We need someone to bridge the gap of death to life. And it's only Jesus. It can be found in no one else. There's no other name in heaven, under heaven whereby anyone can be saved other than Jesus. And, and some people that we know will live their entire lives believing another narrative. 
And it is our responsibility to keep reminding them of the truth of that and believe it ourselves as well. There are only two responses to this gift of God's grace, though. Either you receive it or you reject it. You receive it forever and ever and ever, and it offers abundant life in Christ, abundant life in this world, abundant life in all of eternity, or you reject it, and you struggle on this earth, and then you really struggle in eternity because you're separate from God. There's only two things to do. So my question to you is this, do you receive it or do you reject it? There's not this payday loan option of God's grace where we say, God, I'll pay you back with interest as soon as I get my act together. That's how we live so many times. He doesn't want you to pay Him back. He wants you to worship Him. What we worship Him, church? What would it look like for you to more fully surrender to the gift of God's grace this morning, this week, this year, this decade? To stop depending on yourself to make peace with God and to receive Jesus in your place. The, the, the founding pastor of Perimeter Church, Randy Pope, has a great saying that I think is, will be helpful for us in our understanding of this. Here's the way that he describes the story of what Jesus has done for us. He says this, He made it all. In eternity past, He made it all. He made us. He made everything we see. He made it all. We lost it all through sin. Every single one of us lost it all. He did it all. And we get it all. And that's what David is saying here. Everything has come from your hand, God. Every, every circumstance that I like and I don't like, it's come from your hand because you love me. Every hardship financially that's come my way, it comes from your hand. There's nothing that we experience that doesn't first pass through the blood of Christ. That's how much He loves us. And we don't understand it all, but He made it all. We lost it all, He did it all, and we get it all. Church, if you're a Christian, you have it all. You have it all. You might not feel like you have it all, but you have it all. And what are you going to do with that gift? Lastly, receiving sacrificial grace always leads to offering sacrificial worship. David goes on to pray this. He says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers. This, this is incredible. Listen to this. He says, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. What strikes me most about his prayer here is that he's praying for me and he's praying for you to keep these purposes that have reordered the greed that so often lives in our hearts to a position and a place of worship with all of our lives. He says, keep that front and center in the lives of your people, in the church that will come. Keep that in them. David prays this for you and for me because our sinful nature is telling us a different story, okay? He's been telling us in the history of God's people, the enemy has, eat the fruit. <laughs> Just eat it. You don't have to trust Him. Build the tower. Make a name for yourselves at the Tower of Babel. Make the golden calf. 
Moses is up on the hill. Worship yourselves. Deny that you know Jesus, Peter. Sell him out for some silver, Judas. Worship your wife, your kids, your freedom, your job, your money. Cling to it. It will give you life. It's the answer. That lives inside of each and every one of us. And the only way that gets out of our hearts is that if something greater, if, if, if the weaker man is bound by the strong man in our hearts, that's the only way it gets out. It only gets out if the grace of God comes to live fully inside of our hearts and begins to reorder all of our desires and thus all of our stuff and all of our worship. And these purposes specifically for David are this. This realization that life is a gift. You don't deserve it. That everything, every single thing is a gift from God. And that it's an honor and a privilege to be able to fully worship and give ourselves to God. We don't have to be leveraged by the enemy anymore. And that worship isn't worship unless it's sacrificial. Unless it costs us something. Unless we feel it. David wouldn't buy the field. He wouldn't take the gift of the field because it wasn't worship to him. If he, if he didn't have to get engaged and sacrifice himself. So my question that I leave you with as we continue in worship is this. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? What's he worth to you? Dietrich Bonhoeffer described this through two terms. He said, you know, a lot of people say that Jesus is worthy, that He's worthy of all of our worship. And some people see through this lens of what, what we call cheap grace. And then other people see through this lens of what we call costly grace. Which lens do you see through? He says cheap grace is, is forgiveness with, with actually no repentance. It's, it's discipleship without any obedience. It's receiving and not giving. It's grace without the cross. And it's not worship. So costly grace is different. It's, it's like the man who found the treasure in the field and sold all that he had to obtain it. It's those disciples who left their nets and their careers and their families all at once to follow Jesus. It's costly to God because it cost Him His Son. And what is costly to God cannot remain cheap in His people. Because Jesus has made His home in us through the Spirit. And sacrificial grace leads to sacrificial worship. Church, I'm, I'm so excited about what God is doing through each and every one of us. And how that collectively is making an impact in this community and in one another's lives. And I'm just so excited to see how Jesus will live through you in this next season of our church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You have given so freely so that we can give freely. We're thankful that worship is a response to You. And we all have an opportunity to respond and gratitude to what You are to us. Jesus, we want to be a church 
that sees grace as something that's costly, not cheap. And so would you help us today? Would you even help us today as we wrestle through how we handle your stuff? Help us to steward these lives that you've given us with great faith. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.